Please be seated. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for the evidence of your grace today. Um, Lord, may we um, be able to acknowledge our brokenness before you, to lay it down at your feet, to let go of the shame and the regret that can come along with holding on to such sin. May we remember your grace today found in baptism, Lord, as we think about sweet David's baptism, Lord. May we think about that you are our shepherd and God, your grace is sufficient for us. Thank you for the gospel that you died and rose again to forgive us, Lord, and more to make us righteous in your sight. And so, Lord, as we talk about your character, who you are, Jesus, we ask that you might pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray this with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of the risen and the reigning Christ. Amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we're focusing on the I am statements of Jesus, or at least some of them, in the Gospel of John during this Lenten season. The outline for this series was created by Caroline Lewis, a professor of Luther at Luther Seminary. Here's how she frames up a key question for the series. Jesus, as this one and only God, this unique God, John 1.18, is the distinctive claim of Christianity. Yet in today's world, what's said and believed about Jesus has the tendency to divide Jesus' humanity from Jesus' divinity. Our Christologies seem comfortable with choosing one or the other, depending on whom we need Jesus to be in a certain time or place. To me, that's a very provocative question, and I find it to be true in my life. Even though Jesus is fully human and fully God, I don't always think about him in those both and terms. I tend to lean into Jesus' human side more at times and his divine side at other times. Do you do that? If so, do you tend to lean into one side or other most of the time, right? That's when we get into trouble especially, is when we tend to sort of over-divinize Jesus, like that he didn't really suffer, or he wasn't really experiencing the life we experienced, or we over-humanize him, right? We make him just a good teacher or a moral person. That is not the claim that Jesus makes, right? Jesus claims that he is both. Um, and so... I'm hoping in an overarching way that this series can help us keep that balance, right, in holding on to those things. For Jesus' I am statements counter this tendency. Remember in Exodus, when Moses asked who he should say, he asked God at the burning bush, who he should say is sending him. In Exodus 3, God says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you to them right? I am. And so this is God's name, I am. And so in the Gospel of John at times, Jesus uses the phrase I am, followed by statements that make it clear that he's claiming to be God, to be connected to God, to be God's son. I am the bread of life, right? Today's phrase is one of those. Rightly so, the first thing many of us consider when we hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life, is the Lord's Supper, Yet sometimes even then we may not fully 
get it. Uh, my, my brother Brent, many years ago, when he was a kid, um, was my mom and dad. My dad was a choir director. My mom was in the choir. And so the Kevin, my oldest brother, Brent was my middle brother, um, were in the pew sitting there in church. And, of course, they're back here in the choir. And communion is going down the aisle. And Brent was not old enough to take communion yet. He didn't understand it. And so my mom can be, see his eyes starting to eye that bread. And, you know, it's coming down the aisles and his eyes are getting bigger. And you can imagine the nonverbal communication that's happening, right? So my mom's going, and he's going like this. And she's like, no, you can't. You know, she's mouthing things to him. And then finally she, he mouths to her, but I'm hungry. <laughs> Right? The bread of life can mean many things to many people, right? From a physical need like Brent had that day to something much more spiritual. Jesus, as the bread of life, right, can mean different things at different times to us. For instance, earlier in chapter 6, really the chapter, this chapter of John that we're reading from today, it starts with the feeding of the 5,000. Right, so at the beginning, Jesus is very much physically the bread of life, right? I mean, he's literally providing through fish and bread their sustenance, what they need. But then as it goes on, what we're doing today is we're talking about some phrases in the middle, and I'll be quoting different parts of the the chapter today. But then toward the end, Jesus is very overtly saying, you must eat my body and drink my blood, right? The Lord's Supper is proclaimed in this. So this passage is just filled with from the physical to the spiritual about Jesus being the bread of life. And so, uh, you know, first we see it at the beginning of the chapter for those who are hungry. And um, that's a theme I don't want us to miss, right? Uh, all throughout Scripture and certainly in Jesus' teaching, Jesus commands us to take care of the physical needs of others, right, who are in need. So that is part of what it means to be the body of Christ, uh, is that we are to represent Jesus the way he did that day in the feeding of the 5,000. But then Jesus wants to make clear that the bread is also spiritual. Later, when the crowd catches up to Jesus, he says to them, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. When we think about this spiritual side, the spiritual bread that Jesus is talking about, we have, when we think about it, at least the way I think about it, we have all kinds of hunger within us. We hunger for love. Some of us hunger for power or for prestige or for wealth. Our worry can be like a hunger, right, within us. Or our fears or our shame, our regrets. In that way, we always are dealing with hunger. And Jesus as the bread of life is promising to satiate all of our hungers, physical and spiritual. So how does the bread of life satiate our hunger. Just after the passage we read for today's sermon that we heard Elaine read, Jesus relates himself to the manna that God provided when Israel wandered in the wilderness. He says this, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven. Manna came down from heaven too, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
And so Jesus as the bread of life is like manna in that God is providing it, but much more than manna since whoever, whoever eats it has eternal life, right? This is sort of the new bread, right? When you think about it, when you think about what the manna was. I don't know if you remember the story in Exodus, right, and how that played out, but Alexander Sosler summarizes it well. He says, God gives the Israelites bread from heaven each day, not more than they need, not less than they need, just enough to be full, to be satisfied, to end the restlessness. Just enough for each day. If the Israelites, if you remember in the story, gathered more than they needed, God said, don't do that. And if they did, the bread would literally rot in their tent. God is their provision, he wanted them to know, not the manna. And he wants them to rely on him day by day. This has to be one reason, I think, that Jesus is reminding them of the manna story. So Jesus is saying, just like God's manna, as we consume the bread of life, we must begin again each day. In other words, Jesus doesn't satiate our hunger forever and then we're done. You know, it's like, no, there's a bigger issue at hand. There's a bigger issue at hand. And so in the first verse of today's passage, we heard Elaine read, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Earlier in John, in chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well that he is the living water too, right? And so he is the bread of life. He is the living water. And I love this. These are the two most basic human needs. And Jesus is promising, you now know the source You now know where to go to quench your thirst, to satiate your hunger. And so that said, Jesus' goal is not to gratify our hunger or thirst once and for all, like I said, because then we would no longer rely on him. God's desire is for us to be fully reliant on him every day, just like the Israelites were with the manna with God. The goal is... Uh, Oswald Chambers puts it this way. He says, what is my vision of God's purpose for me? Whatever it may be, his purpose is for me to depend on him and on his power now. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, it is to depend on him and his power now. If you are doing that, then you are in God's will, whatever is going on. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. All you have to do is receive it. To receive it from me is to depend on me and my power now. And so there's a, a, an invitation um, very similar to the end of Matthew 11, right? When Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to come to rely on him, to depend on him Every day, it's a relationship. It's not a transaction. Sometimes the bread of life may feel like it could be a transaction, but it's really not. It's an invitation to relationship where we rely on God, and in that reliance upon Jesus, um, these hungers or thirsts are satiated. So think with me a moment. What hungers and thirsts do you struggle satiating? What are the things that many of us... Honestly, um, 
may not want to face. We, we may struggle acknowledging, just like at the beginning of the service I said we have a hard time acknowledging our brokenness. Um, this is part of that, right? We have things inside of us that drive us in unhealthy ways or that create um, real difficulty for us to live our daily life. Um, to clarify for me, I use hunger and thirst interchangeably here, right? Whether it's the bread of life or the living water, it's all Jesus. Um, the hunger or thirst, um, you know, maybe it's worry, like I was saying, or to be loved. The hunger or thirst for grace in the face of our sin. The same with fear or shame or anxiety or disappointment or resentment. Anger. Regarding these needs, how can you fully depend on Jesus and his power now? What does it mean to do that? Here are the spiritual practices I use to engage in, with Jesus as the bread of life or the living water. Um, I encounter Jesus as the bread of life each month in communion. And so next Sunday will be an opportunity for you to practice this, right? Um, I pray in preparation so you have moments where you can prepare your heart in the service to receive the Lord's Supper. I invite the Holy Spirit to fill me. Then I spend time being honest with myself as I take communion about what I hunger for. I get specific. For you, think back to the list that maybe came to mind for you. What are the things that seem to constantly be a thirst inside of you? For me, as I said, are hungers like worry and fear and shame and regret and anger and resentment. And when I think about those things, um, worry, fear, shame, regret, whatever, I try not to just think of them philosophically like, oh, I get angry sometimes. It's no, what am I angry about? And how do I trust whatever I'm angry about over to God? So that as God quenches or satiates that hunger within me, then I don't need to be angry anymore. Does that make sense? So that's sort of the way I'm engaging God's presence and the promise that God has, right? Um, then as I take that bread and wine, I trust that, right? You have to actively trust that Jesus will do it. There's faith involved. And so, you know, I go through that process and as I receive it, I I really believe and trust that God is going to satiate those hungers. Um, I use the living water image on almost a daily basis. It's part of my daily practice. Um, during my morning devotionals or my morning Sabbath walk, um, I invite the Holy Spirit to fill me. Now, when Jesus talks about the living water, uh, he talks about it one way in John 4. He mentions it here in this passage. In John 7, so just the next chapter, um, he talks about, you know, come to me and drink when you're thirsty and living water will flow out of you. And then there's a parenthetical statement after that that the author, John, makes. And he says, by this, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. So the living water is the Spirit of God. And so when we invite God's Spirit within us, I begin to try to create um, an image in my mind of living fresh water. That comes in. And as I think about my thirsts or my hungers, right, this worry and resentment and anger and all these things, sometimes I imagine them as hot rocks that this living water just comes over and cools. It's a way of me seeing that God is quenching 
that thirst, right? And so specifically, you might think of each of those worry and anger. Each of those things is a bucket. And inside that bucket are the specific things I'm worried about. They're the specific things I feel resentful about. The specific things. And then as that water comes over them, God quenches that resentment. He quenches that anger. And instead, I'm able to have a different response. Now, you might think this takes all day. It doesn't. Now, it takes practice. You you get more efficient as you learn how to do it. But it doesn't take that long, right? In eight or ten minutes, I can have a real meaningful time with God, engaging with the living water, and it quenching my thirst. And I promise you, you can ask my wife, if I've done a good job with this, I'm very different than if I haven't or if I've skipped it. Does that make sense? Because why? I'm thirsty, right? And so what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to be cranky or I'm going to be, I'm just going to respond differently to things. And so um, there are different practices and different ways you can engage it. As you know, when we think about Oswald Chambers' statement that he made, These are the ways that I fully depend on Jesus and his power now, right? And I want to encourage you to experiment with similar practices. There is so much, hear me, there is so much about the Christian faith that can feel detached, distant, overly intellectual. But I believe that Jesus was serious when he says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He wants to engage with you. He wants to help. He wants to satiate these things inside of us that can be really not good for us or for others, right? And so Jesus is here. He's ready to engage our deepest spiritual longings and needs, but we have to have the faith to actually take time to engage him. That's a real question to ask yourself. Am I taking the time and learning, because there's a practice involved, how to engage him with faith. We have to create spiritual practices that are robust enough that we will very naturally trust through them that only he can satiate these hungers and thirsts we face, right? So, I mean, think about it. What if what I'm sharing with you is true? How valuable would it be in your life? I tell you this testimonially. It has been life-changing for me. And it's only happened in the last four years or so. It has been life-changing for me in so many ways. What would it be like now not to have to struggle with your deepest hungers and thirsts day in and day out? Because you know where to go to get relief. What would it be like to experience being fully known and fully loved each day? That as God's presence is within you, as the Holy Spirit's within you, as Christ is in you, that you experience God's grace and unconditional love. Truly, it's the difference between bondage and freedom for so many things in our life. So, what am I asking today? I'm saying experiment. And not just for a day or a week. Folks, if you've never done this much, if all your prayers are just very rote and kind of these and thous and, you know, formalities. I just got to say, you got to get over that. God's not into these and thous. I mean, he's okay with it, but you don't have to talk to him that way. He wants to know your heart. He wants to engage who you are, right? And so experiment and you have to learn a new habit and that takes time, right? To do that. So for the next 40 days, this is a great opportunity in Lent. 
Make a regular space in your life to engage in trusting Jesus to quench your thirst and satiate your hungers. Next week, as you come to communion, come intentionally. I will do my best to remind us, right, of this as we engage. But during the day, during the week, create space. If you don't have any space in your life, when you get in your car to drive to work, turn the radio off and engage God there. I know traffic can be difficult. I know. (laughs) But you can do it. It's an opportunity for you to begin to experiment what would happen if God actually began to help you as you trust him with these things to take some of these things away. Finally, as we grow in learning how to never go hungry or thirsty, God calls us to share that with all those around us. As Christ's body, we too should, like Jesus, desire for everyone to know how to never go hungry or thirsty again. Can you imagine if the whole world learned these practices? If people really learn not to, to have to get overwhelmed with resentment or anger or be completely paralyzed by worry or anxiety? It's the difference between bondage and freedom individually but also corporately. There are so many people that each of us know in our lives, and it doesn't matter whether they're Christians or not. They're struggling, and they need help to know that Jesus is alive right here, right now, in this room today, and he wants to meet with you and with me and with them. The problem is not on his side. The problem is on our side. We have to learn to trust him with our faith. And so how many people... Do you know that could be helped, right, as you learn this practice and then you learn to share it with him? What a life-changing gift the presence of Jesus is in our life. May we look for opportunities to share it with others as we learn. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.